Today on this episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we have part two of our conversation with the guys from Essential Coaching, Kyle Cavanaugh and Asim Rostogi. We start building on our conversation about the Playmakers League and the Pyramid Pathway and move up the pyramid to our X's and O's, tying them in with our coaching and scouting. So along with the seamlessly fitting in, let's kind of just talk briefly some X's and O's. So I kind of want to tweak this question for you guys. Not necessarily if you had this blank team, you would run the read and react flex, you know, whatever offense, whatever defense. But for you, how do you guys kind of help coaches decide maybe what X's and O's fit for their team? And then maybe the best practices for going about installing those things within some of the things you've already talked about, but maybe some newer thoughts as well. Sure. Yeah. I think I alluded to this earlier. We talk about our four essential elements of basketball. I think everything has to be governed by those first. And I think Kyle and I are very aligned on that, right? Sprint, space, seek, shot selection. The point of running any sort of offense, the point of running any sort of X's and O's is to generate the best available shot, right? That's, that's the point of running offense. And then on defense, the point is to take those shots away. So we want to force, you know, long contested twos, the whole thing. And so I think it, it really doesn't matter what you necessarily run because all offense is designed to generate those shots, to touch the paint and to switch sides of the floor. So we look at it from a conceptual framework through like our 100 point games framework, for example, where you get points in practice or even on film for doing some of those things. So if we were to just leave players to their own devices and say, listen, we need to space the floor like this. We want the ball to touch the paint and switch sides of the floor. You guys figure it out. What do you think they'd come up with? They'd probably come up with some sort of dribble drive motion. If you had a pretty good post player, they would learn to feed the post and then kick it back out, right? Those are sort of the building blocks of any sort of X's and O's that we're looking for, right? To, to, to narrow it down even more, I mean, I'm a big proponent of the two-side break. I'm a big proponent of playing off the catch. And so, and I'm playing out of ball screens. I think ball screens obviously have taken over every level of basketball, but very few teams do them well. I think you see a lot of teams just setting ball screens because that's what they think they're supposed to do. And there's no advantage gained off of those ball screens. And so keeping in line too with, with Brian, understanding the, the Saba concepts so of small advantage, big advantage. How are we actually gaining an advantage by passing the ball here? And so helping our players learn that we don't need to run anything sort of like complex. We don't need to run anything that's, that's crazy that has a bunch of different masked actions in it to get to the one action. Let's keep it as simple as we possibly can. And then we can expand once we become really, really good at generating this advantage because we don't really need to expand unless we're no longer generating any sort of advantages or trying to generate what we would call sevens and nines on our shot selection scale by what we're doing already. And so instead of then seeking out that X's and O's top of the pyramid type uh, solution, we're looking at the bottom and saying, okay, do we trust each other? When I pass you this ball, can I trust that you're gonna make the next best decision with it? If not, now we look at our skill development and say, okay, what are we doing in our skill development work that is going to help us make the next best decision? And so, you know, we've seen even, even at the college level, 
a, a we've pared it down at Brandeis to where our kids know exactly what we're trying to generate and they speak the language. And so we only have, I'd say probably like six or seven set plays right now. And the rest of it, we, we literally tell our kids, go attack, find the advantage, go attack, take a seven or a nine. And the majority of the game, we're able to play that way because our kids are getting better and better at making those decisions. So maybe I'm not the best person to answer that question, trying to nail down like actual X's and O's. Um, but, you know, ho hopefully there's a different way that, that we've provided to look at the conceptual framework, the tech tech framework of what you're actually doing, why you're doing it, and whether your players know when to do those things or not. And I think it's about, again, thinking of it more in terms of those, Asim talks a lot about entries and end games. So it's, we might have a certain way that we want to start the possession, that we want to generate that initial advantage. And really, again, that could be anything. You know, if you want to run flex, run flex, like whatever. If you want to run two-sided break, run two-sided break. You want to run Euro ball screen, run Euro ball screen. If you've got a really great dominant guard that can, you know, break their guy off and, and create the advantage that way by spacing the floor, then great. But then it comes down to, okay, what shot do we necessarily want to take? You know, if we value corner threes per se, all right, we want to try to, then great. We know what look we want. We know what looks we don't want. All right, let's reverse engineer from there and let's start to figure out, well, how can we generate more of those looks maybe for this particular player, you know, in this particular spot? You know, so if we're going to play the analytics game, we don't want a lot of long contested twos. You know, we want, again, sevens and nines. We want wide open jumpers from three that are more kind of catch and shoot. We don't necessarily want to have to create a jumper off of the dribble and we want finishes at the rim, like lightly contested finishes at the rim. If we're too heavily contested at the rim, then that means chances are there was a next best decision. There was a kick out. Somebody else was open. Maybe they weren't open because they didn't space properly. All right, well, now we know that we've got this issue. Hey, this person got into the paint, drew two, and they forced a bad shot, but we're not going to yell at that kid. That was your fault because you didn't lift out of the corner or you didn't space or you didn't post slide. Those Then we can sort of get into the weeds of like where we should have been. But again, all this comes back to these essential elements. It's about spacing. And it's not just about creating a spacing template. It's about maintaining the spacing template. So not just getting to these spots, but how do we move within the contextual framework of, of where we might go? And so once we figure out what type of shot we want, we know what the end game is. We shouldn't ever really be surprised of the shot we get, right? Like, and they're going to go in and they're, or they're not. We don't judge the shot quality based on the outcome, whether or not they go in or not. It's, it's once the decision was made to either take it or not, that's when we grade that shot. And so then we reverse engineer from there and figure out what we've got. Now, when I coached at, at, at Cedar Creek, it was a lot of read and react. And, you know, we played a lot, way more athletic teams. And so we might have to run some things to get open and get a look. Like it, we had to manufacture a little bit more of that. At Simsboro, we were super talented, massively athletic, five guys on the floor that could generate an advantage by themselves. So it was more about spacing and sprinting. And I wanted to try to score within the first four or five seconds of the change of possession, whether that was off of a turnover, a miss, or even a make. Like we were going to score right back on you as fast as we possibly could. So I liked playing a lot faster in those terms. So X's and O wise for us, it was about keeping things very essential. We don't necessarily want to get, get into the weeds with a lot of this, but these are the spots that we want to get to. And we, we created this, what I, what I call the anatomy of a perfect possession. Again, I say the word perfect there, like very loosely, like this is what we would want ideally. 
We want changes and exchanges, meaning that we want to exchange hands safely. You know, and, and we talk a lot about the value in the safe exchange, just being able to pass and catch and kind of trust the fact that if we want to make an entry into the post, that we, we're not going to turn it over. We want to change sides of the floor. We want to get it into the paint, which is really sort of anything inside the, the defense, not necessarily the, the box itself. And then we want to kick an extra or one more or click boom, boom, like whatever the terminology is that you want to use. And then sort of borrowing from the Chris Oliver line of thinking, we want to go into a zero second decision. So we want to train those behaviors and those decisions. How we get it into the paint doesn't really matter to us. If it's off of a back screen, if it's off a ball screen, if it's off a cut, if it's off a flash, that's great. But we, and over the course of the season, we might kind of figure out what works best for us. So at Simsboro, we ran a lot of pistol stuff, a lot of like step up, quick get, a lot of pitch flips, a lot of, you know, dribble handoff ball screen type things. But regardless of what that was, the only reason we did that was to get one of our guys shoulder chest advantage, you know, a step on somebody, get inside the defense. And then it was paint kick extra time. And based off of where our guys were spaced, we knew we were going to generate a really good look. And, and our guys, fortunately, were talented enough that if we did that enough and you gave us enough of those chances, we were gonna, probably going to make you pay because we were either going to hit the three or we were athletic enough. We could go rebound the mess and then we could kind of score there. And I honestly think that if I if I went back and coached the team that wasn't nearly as talented, I, I honestly don't think I would change a whole lot because I feel like playing this way is so much more in our control. When I was trying to out X and O everybody, especially playing teams that were more athletic, it just, we didn't get to control how we played. You know, if, if, if this set depended on us entering the ball into the right wing, shit, half the time we probably couldn't get it to the right wing. Like they were doing something to deny us or whatever, or they were, we played against really good coaches and they would figure that out and we'd have to do something else. So what's the next best decision? Is it a dribble at? Is it a dribble handoff? Is it a ball screen? You know, whatever that is that sort of fits our team's um, skill set or personnel is fine, but it's it always comes back to are we doing these essential things? Are we sprinting? Are we spacing? Because the best offense in the world, my favorite possession that we grade on film through our 100-point games is a 41-point possession that happens in four or five seconds. And it's a pitch ahead, a pitch ahead to the opposite side, hitting a rim runner at the rim, and we're getting a wide open layup. And to me, that's the most, that's the easiest brand of basketball that we could possibly play. Now, we're not going to get that every single time down. So we are going to need to have something in our pocket to create some of these advantages. But again, if we can do that more than the other team, we're at least giving ourselves a really good chance to be competitive and, and potentially win the game. So now, now we got some of those things. Um, and I was, you know, kind of going through your website and I saw one of your posts. Um, about the, the balance of, of scouting and doing what you do and adjustments, right? Um, obviously, you know, it, it, the higher levels you get, you have to have some kind of scouting, right? You have to have, everybody's going to do something different. So you have to be able to uh, counteract that. Um, so how do you guys find the balance of, you know, okay, this team's doing this, this is what we do and making those adjustments, whether it be in-game or, you know, preparing for a game? Yeah, so I think, you know, that it is, it's funny when we say like a higher level, I think we compare a lot of the things that 
even we would do in college um, or high school or whatever to what the pros do. And in the pros, it's very, very scout specific because it has to be. Every player in the pros is a star. Every single one has an incredibly high skill level and IQ. And the coaches, you know, are, are excellent at making these, these wild in-game adjustments. And it's all simple stuff, but they, they tend to see the game at a, a much different level than we would ever need to at the levels of, of the listeners of your podcast, right? It's just a reality, like the levels that we work with in essential coaching, like we work with European pro coaches and they like, they're making adjustments and stuff. It's nothing crazy. And I think the other part is to really understand, like the majority of scouting takes place in what's going on in the structured moments of the game. So the structured moments of the game being the other team's set plays, the other team's out of bounds plays, you know, what are their, um, you know, what are their players personnel wise really, really good at? How are we going to attack them? But the majority of the game, like 80% of the game is unstructured moments. And we rarely ever scout an unstructured moment because you look at it and it just looks like absolute chaos. You can't, you can't scout it. And so I see that there's like, there's merit to, for those 20%, yeah, okay, like is our structure of 20% going to be better than their structure of 20%? I would argue that if you can make your structure of 20% 100% unstructured and you are unscoutable, now it doesn't matter what the other team does because we are going to be better at what we do than they are at what they do. And they're going to spend more time on us than we are going to spend on them and we are we have so much work to do of what like our players and, and our skill level and what we're trying to do. It would be folly, right? Logically to think about it, it would be folly to spend any time on what the opponent does because we have so much to take care of on our own. Right. To put it in like a real life context, that's like looking at your neighbor's lawn and saying, Well, here's what I would do with my neighbor's lawn, and here's how I would over, you know overseed it and aerate it and do all of those things and your lawn is a hot mess all right we we sit there and we'll we'll judge what everybody else does we'll create a plan for what everybody else does and we rarely have a plan for ourselves we solely exist to win the next game based on what the opponent is doing and so when i think about the balance of scouting and then the balance of game prep and all of those things I think like we, we sort of give ourselves a little bit too much credit for being those pro coaches and being those pros when we don't coach pros. We coach kids who play basketball, right? Let's make them the best possible basketball players they can be while still understanding that they have lives outside of this. It doesn't, we don't need 17 different coverages for, for every different type of screen. We don't, we really don't. Let's get good at a couple of them. Right. Let's get good at what we do really well and let's have faith in it. And it goes back to what Kyle said at the very beginning, like coaches being the least committed in the room. Like, what are you actually committing to with your team? Are we committing to throwing it all out the window once we face a really tough opponent and we spend four, five, six days on them because we have the time? What could we use that time for better? Right. Can we get more three on three work in? Can we get more of the scout embedded into what we're already doing in practice without necessarily having to say, okay, now we're going to look at, you know, all nine of their out-of-bounds plays on the off chance they even get nine out-of-bounds opportunities. 
right? I just think that there's there's a, a balance that needs to be struck that airs more on the side of your own player development, your own skill development, and your own program development, because nobody's nobody's house is perfectly built. And we need to be able to, to make sure that there's no kinks in our armor that they can exploit rather than the other way around. Yeah, and I, I would continue that by thinking of like the, the return on the investment piece. So when I go back to thinking about me scouting in high school, for example, you know, we spend all this time teaching our kids to do something and they can't do it. They can't, we can't get our own, like you said, our own lawn, our own house, nor we can't learn our stuff, but yet we sort of expect them to learn the other team's stuff when, oh, by the way, those are also 16 and 17 year old kids who don't even know their stuff. So what, what I became super frustrated with was knowing exactly what the other team wanted to do, but they also couldn't execute what they wanted to do. And so we would have like the perfect coverage for this play or the, you know, like I would tell my guys, Hey, we're going to run this play because the help should be here. Well, how many freaking times did we run that play where the help wasn't where it was supposed to be? And like, golly guys, like, can y'all please be better at defense? So my set can work, you know, like they were so bad that it screwed up what we wanted to do. And then we would go watch somebody and we'd be like, Oh man, they ran this one, three, one. So we need to spend two days of practice prepping for the one, three, one. And shit, they played man, you know, or they came out in a two, three and we were prepared for this and we weren't prepared for that. And it just became this thing where we were spending so much time focusing on what wasn't going to happen and getting back. I saw again, the, the balance is there. You're right. Like it helps to know. I want to know who your best player is. I want to know where they want their shots. You know, how can we disrupt maybe where they get their looks from? And it, but again, looking at it more from which essential elements, uh, are they best at? How do they sprint? How do they space? What shot are they trying to seek? And then what is their shot selection philosophy? Let's be honest, a lot of programs out there, they don't have a shot selection philosophy. So it's hard to know exactly what they want to do because they're so inconsistent with what their coach wants them to do. So it, again, it's like we're, we're almost giving a lot of these coaches and programs a little too much credit and then expecting too much from ourselves and our kids and giving ourselves too much credit when all of this is a very imperfect system. So when we only get so much time and then we as coaches lament, well, we don't have time for leadership and character. We don't have time to watch film of ourselves. We don't have time to take care of our bodies. We don't have time for yoga. We don't have time to take a day off because time is such an, uh, a finite resource, but then we spend so much of it on the other team. And so again, I would think of it more of this, this pyramid, this foundation. Once we've taken care of ourselves to a certain point and we know about us, then we can start to strike that balance with what that other team may do. And then, again, I'm speaking purely from a high school coach. You go play in some tournament, you're going to play three games in three days. We have no idea who the opponent's going to be anyway, and they're from out of town. So even if we did want to scout them, we can't get anything on them. And obviously huddle and stuff like that makes things a little bit easier now. But also, I got a wife and a kid at home. So, you know, I've already missed the last three nights being at the gym and I've got a game the next Tuesday. Does my wife really want me sitting at home watching two hours of film when I'm missing dinner time and she's pissed at me and I've missed three days with my five-year-old daughter and now I can't do that. So the balance, I think, is more about how we're balancing all of that. And if we can spend more time focusing on who we are and making our kids better, then it doesn't matter or, or 
it matters, but it doesn't matter quite as much what they do. And then our kids are really good at making those decisions and sort of those adjustments on, on their own in game. And once that kid over there hits two threes in the corner, it's like, all right, all right, we know now, all right, that kid, they're trying to generate shots for him in the corner. So let's shade a little bit more to him or let's not help here or let's not help there or whatever. And we can sort of, you know, figure that stuff out on the fly. And as long as we're better at that than they are, again, we're giving ourselves the chance and, and we're, we're more basketball people, but we do some, some work with swim and dive and, and we've worked with soccer and football and so on and so forth. And one thing that I've learned from, from football, which is a little bit more scout dependent and scout heavy because they can set up every play, right. Is that what I've learned from a, a lot of offensive coordinators that I've talked to is the first six, eight, 10 plays. They're all scripted. They want to see what those defensive linemen splits are going to look like. They want to see if you put a guy in motion, are they going to follow your best receiver? You know, they want to see how they're going to cover certain things if you go two tight ends versus one tight end. And so they'll script eight to 10 plays, and it is kind of is, be damned what happens. We're going to run this to get, and then they're going to make their adjustments based off of what they think. But it all comes back to, can our kids make those adjustments? Can our kids make those decisions that if we do go 12 personnel with two tight ends and the linebacker creeps down. Does our kid know how to block that guy? And we as coaches might know it in the booth. That's one thing. But if our kids don't know it on the field and can't execute it, then it doesn't matter what we've got. And again, that was just sort of my own inner struggle was I always knew what the other team wanted to do, even if they couldn't do it. And it just likely never worked out in my favor, even though I knew that it was going to occur. If my kids couldn't handle it, then we weren't going to be very successful. And that was one of the biggest frustrations that I had for years until I met a scene and we started talking about some of this stuff to kind of keep it more um, essential, if you will, and, and, and focusing more on what happens most, where are we going to get the biggest return on our investment? And likely that's going to be our own kids and what we want to do. Yeah, I, I think both of you make great points. Todd and I have this exact same conversation all the time, especially early on in a season where everybody everybody's trying to figure out who they are, not just your team, every team. So the, the scouting everybody else early on and not really worrying about yourself, you know, does have those long-term detrimental effects. I, we, we, Todd and I couldn't agree more. Um, so this is always an interesting segment. And I think this will be interesting for the, the two of you. Um, this, we call this the 30 second timeout. You two can discuss any topic you want. Um, it can be about yourselves, your families, for you coaching essential or playmakers league or whatever, something completely different that we haven't talked about. Um, you know, the floor is kind of your guys. I, since there's two of you, I think we'll call this the 60 second timeout uh, and give you guys each a little bit of a platform each. Uh, there's no referee in your timeout. So it's a, it's a rough 60 seconds, but the floor is each one of you guys to, to kind of lead off and, and talk about what you want. Asim, if you want to start uh, and then we can go to Kyle. All right, really, really putting us on the spot here with this. Um, you know, I, I think we've we've talked a lot about obviously essential coaching and, and playmakers, and you know, I think one of the things that's that's sort of close to my heart is just as and I don't know when this is going to be released, but we're here in the holiday season and just making sure that we're checking on people that, um, you know, as as COVID sort of rears its head again and or really hasn't gone away, but you know, as things are starting to get shut down a little bit and people are are dealing with the stress of the holidays and maybe they've lost a loved one or whatever it is, just making sure we're checking on each other and taking care of each other. 
um, you know, I think it's extremely important at this time of year, like not to forget that, you know, when people are supposed to be joyous and all that, it is a hard time for a lot of people. So just making sure that we're being kind to each other and, and, and checking on people who might need us. Um, yeah, definitely a really good question. So I'm going to stick a little bit to the coaching and basketball theme and something that you can find on my Twitter page, but, um, uh, a thing that I've been doing for the last 21 years and, and with coaches, the last three is the, the hashtag Chucks for MDC. Um, a friend of mine, when I was 14 high school, uh, a freshman in high school, uh, one of my best friends that I grew up with, I was in, on the, I was in band, I was on the drum line and we played drums together, went to church together. Uh, we came back from a high school football playoff game and late 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 in the middle of the night 3 30 in the morning um him and another friend of mine were hit and uh by a drunk driver and mark david was unfortunately killed uh they had to pull him off life support um after about 36 hours of trying to save him and uh the thing that he always did he always wore chuck taylor's like i mean that's the only shoes he ever had he had a bunch of pair and um, one of the things that we did as, as, as his friends is we all went out and we bought Chuck Taylors and we wore them kind of in his memory um, after he died. And when I started when I started coaching around the anniversary of his death, which was December 4th, December 5th, the wreck was on the 4th, the, the death was on the 5th. Um, I always coached in a pair of Chuck Taylors. I always wore a suit when I coached. And so I was like suit and tie and then had these obnoxiously green Chuck Taylors, which obviously stood out. And it forced people to kind of ask the question, you know, why are you wearing those? And it gave me an opportunity to tell his story, the impact that he's had on my life, um, even 21 years later. And so I always coached in them. Well, I um, left coaching three years ago as a, a family move. And so I reached out to Asim and some other coaching friends of mine. I was like, hey, like, I don't get to coach. Will you mind wearing some chucks on the sideline for me? And so we ended up putting this on Twitter. This is the third year we've done it as sort of a social platform just to raise awareness of, of drinking and driving. And then we talk about, you know, what's the next best decision. And I even talk to my, the kids that I teach, you know, one day you'll be in a situation where you have to make a decision, you know, whether, whether you're partaking or whether you, you help somebody for not drinking, taking their keys, calling somebody, whatever. Um, and, and I made a promise back when I was 14 that I was never going to drink, never going to drink and drive to his, his parents just to make sure that, you know, if I could be responsible for, one person not having to go through something like that, then that's good enough for me. And so any chance I get, I like to tell his story uh, and about Chuck's. And so we, we've been asking coaches all month of December. And again, I don't know when this is going to air. So even if it comes out in January, February, March, feel free to take a day and, and wear Chuck Taylor's just in, in memory of, of him or somebody that you know that's been affected by drunk driving and, um, you know, take a picture of the shoes and send them to me. And I'm putting a, a collage together that I give to his parents you know, around this time of year. Um, and it's just a, it's a really good cause. And um, like I said, if it, if, if telling that story gets somebody to think and, and, you know, those obnoxious green shoes pop up in their head and they think, okay, maybe I don't need to do this and I could save somebody's life. Then, um, you know, I think that's totally worth it. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And we really appreciate it from both of you because ultimately, right. You know, we are, we're coaching a game um, and there's so much more going on in this world and, and, um, so much more important things. So I think that's, that's important, important to remember. Uh, so thank you so much for both of you for that. Um, all right. So our next segment is quick hitters, kind of rapid fire questions, throwing them out there. Um, you know, could be basketball related, sports related, could, could not be. Uh, and I kind of got this Kyle from reading your bio and, and, and see him. I, I don't know your background, but like, 
I wanted to talk about like your musical background, uh, instrument singer, mm-hmm. whatever. And then for both of you, what's your what's your jam song right now? What do you, what do you what are you rocking out to right now? <laughs> Uh, so me, I was, a, I was a drummer uh, or a percussionist. Um, I had a little bit of musical talent, so I wasn't just a drummer. I could kind of play all the toys, the melodics, timpani. So I was on drumline and uh, I played in college at Louisiana Tech. I was on their drumline and the percussion ensemble and um, had some talent, things like that. Um, and, and music was a really big part of my life. I, I like to credit that I learned a lot more from music than I even did sports. Because when you think about program and, and you're on a, you have 35 people on a drumline. If everybody's not completely in sync um it's gonna sound like crap you know there was a lot of accountability and a lot of lessons that i learned that you hear coaches talk a a lot about that i actually learned from my music background and i and i always sort of suggest and challenge coaches go talk to your your band director your choir director your drama director they have to have conversations like oh this kid thought they were going to be the lead in the play and they're not they have to have that conversation just like you would your starting point guard and i think we can learn a lot from the other people in our school that we sort of think we're sort of self-important as the coaches, but the band director, the choir director, the drama instructor, like all those types of people are doing a lot of the same things that we like to think we are. Um, and I think you can really learn a lot um, from those types of people in our schools and stuff. Um, as far as my song, it is Christmas. I like, I, uh, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. That's probably one of my favorite That's a good uh, one. That's a good one. Uh, uh, songs. So anytime that comes on, I'm probably turning up the, the radio a little bit and embarrassing uh, whoever's around me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I am not a musically inclined person like Kyle is. I, that is not in my bag. I did play the violin for like three or four years. But other than that, I am not a musically inclined person. But, um, you know, my, my jam song, I mean, I, I listen to pretty much everything you put on any sort of Dave Matthews I'll listen to it Lincoln Park I'll listen to it rap I'll listen to it so uh but in in keeping with the holiday theme anything pentatonics Christmas I'm I'm all for it nice definitely did not think we'd get a hippo involved no no that's a that's a that's a good jam though I like that it is a good jam it's a good one it's a banger you can't you can't not sing it you can't not sing it if it comes on great now I'm gonna be singing I'm in a good mood every time I do it too also, uh, just before I move on, I wanted to say as a mental health worker myself, uh, Asim, everything you said was was perfect. And um, Todd and I are both big shoe guys. So anytime we can add some shoe flavor to the show, we're in for that as well. Um, so for you guys, sneaky or hidden talent that you might have that somebody else wouldn't know you have? I. I don't know. I'm pretty open book, man. I don't think I have any sneaky or hidden talents. And I wouldn't really call them talents. Like, I feel like you have to be good at it to make it a talent. So I wouldn't even say like, you know, I'm a good singer or something like that. I'm terrible at a lot of that stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to say, I got nothing. I'm really good at laundry. Like that's really something I'm very good at. I think it takes laundry, you know, I'm, I'm sitting over here looking at my laundry machine and it's full. I got to go empty it. But um, you know, I'm very good at that. I don't know if that counts or not. That that is not one of my fortes. I will tell you that I'm not, laundry would not be up there on my skills list. For a former college manager here, so like you got to really get good no, at laundry yeah, and yeah, there you go, yeah, folding. Put me up against anybody. <laughs> I would I would say mine are like like I'm pretty good at I'm like sort of jack of all trades, not like really good at all this stuff, but like kind of like bar and pool games. Like uh, I, like I can play ping pong. I can shoot a little pool. I can like throw a little darts, um, cornhole, like those types of things. Like if, if there's something like that out there, like I can kind of pick that up. And I'm actually out of all those, I'm, I'm 
pretty good at ping pong. Like I, I don't get to play it a lot. So I would say people probably don't know that because there's just not a lot of ping pong tables sitting around uh, and paddles, but we did have a ping pong club at the school that I was at. And so I got to kind of head that up and so go get to play a little bit. So I would probably say ping pong. Uh, see, we all, we all know what that means. He says he's okay at all those things. That means don't go, <laughs> don't go at the bar. And, oh, yeah, you wanna play yeah, exactly. You want to play pool? And next thing you know, what, where'd all my, where did all my money go? Yeah, get uh, Lucille. All right, all right. I, I want to talk about food. Okay, uh, Kyle, we were texting a little bit about so your Louisiana food and the same your your New England food. What give us maybe your your favorite or or, or something? Let us learn here the Chicago guys. Although we have good food here in Chicago, um, but but let us learn about you know some other places and, and what you got going food wise. Your could be your favorite, could be something restaurant, whatever maybe. Kyle, you got it, my man. So I have two sort of favorite dishes and, and in part because they're, they're not, you can't really just get them anywhere, but I love chicken and waffles. I want my chicken like covered in hot sauce and I want my waffles covered in syrup and just sort of the marriage between the sweet and the spicy. Um, that's one of my ultimate, like all time favorites. I would also put up shrimp and grits in that category as well. Um, and then, which I, I, I guess you can't really say like those aren't like necessarily native to Louisiana. They're just kind of Southern food. But if I had to go a little bit more Louisiana, a massive table just covered in crawfish on a like an April, May day, uh, that's really, really hard to beat, uh, especially with like corn, potatoes, sausage, garlic, broccoli, carrots, corn, like all that kind of thrown in the season. And that's that's pretty hard to beat, too. So I'm, I'm a New England transplant, so I'm from Virginia. And so okay. I can subsist on all of the things Kyle just said. And I will say the, the benefit to being up here in New England is the amount of just delicious fried seafood you can get. And so I'm big on, on clam strips. I love lobster. I think it's all delicious. Um, but speaking of this, last night we actually went to a, a restaurant up here called Kin which is like the only soul food restaurant within probably a hundred miles. And I finally had sweet tea after the last like three years of not being in a Southern state. Um, and so if I had to tell you my favorite food, I'm going to cheat and just say sweet tea because I can't get enough. Well, now I'm hungry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, one of my favorites, I, I, I'm a Chicago guy, but I do love Cajun food. So uh, Kyle, as you were talking, you were, you're making me feel it. All right. So this is a, this is an interesting one. Again, this goes back to one time we asked somebody about their favorite zoo animal, but maybe like your favorite bad <laughs> joke or like a favorite joke that's kind of corny, but you think is funny. Go ahead, Asim. <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous. I tell so many dad jokes in my normal everyday life and I can't, like, none of them are good. They're all terrible. That's what makes a good dad joke. <laughs> well, that's kind of the point, right? Um, that's kind of the point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any offhand that I can just give you right now. I got to think about it. I just don't think we have the time for that. But um, I do tell a lot of bad dad jokes. Kyle, you're, you're the actual dad here. Let's see if you have a good one. Well, mine, mine's more like just being like, overly sarcastic with the kids that I teach so like you know I go to my board and I write down like you know go to page whatever and obviously a kid's going to raise their hand and they'd be like what page is this on and I'm like oh next time I'll write it on the board and I'll just like look at the board and be like oh I did write it on the board how about that maybe next time 
I'll write it on the board for you or, so, or I'll say something. And then the kid will be like, you know, they'll ask that question right after. And I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't listen to it either. And I'll just kind of move on to the next thing. <laughs> and after about two or three of those times, that kind of, <laughs> kind of gets their attention. So I don't know if that's technically a joke, but me just being like massively in your face, sarcastic to some seventh graders is also probably a sneaky talent that I have. Yeah. Yeah, we'll say one of my favorite responses to any question is like, hey, are we going to do this? And I'll say, no, we're going to do this. And it's the exact same thing they just said. Like, (laughs) to me, that's that's just fun because it just like makes them think for a second. But yeah, it's, you know, dad jokes are one of those things that I think just comes out as you hear them and you never really write them down, which I think we probably should. We make a lot more money doing that. (laughs) That's probably true. I I go, I usually go with uh, your socks are untied. Guaranteed. 70, 75 percent to 80 people look I, I swear try that's it that's pretty good just be like hey, I'm, you're stealing time. See, and, and, I'm, uh, I'm stealing it see I'm writing it down I also work in middle school with Kyle and I, I work with some some tougher behavior kids so anytime like I'm sworn at or cussed out or whatever I'll just say good talk see you out there and yep. walk away yep. and don't say anything so I like that yeah God bless you junior high yeah. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. i appreciate it the lord's work man if there ever was it is it is uh favorite team building activity Oof. favorite team building activity i mean I'm a, I'm a big fan we used to have a uh a retreat for our players and for our parents um and we used to do all kinds of stuff there was this one thing we did when i was a high school head coach um we actually contracted it out with this company and the, the name of the game is the go game, like the G O game. And I think it was like 700 bucks for you to do it on your own. You can fly somebody out to have, but obviously that's more expensive. And um, they, they have like an app that you download and you get it. It's, it's custom to you and your team and they do it in locations all over the country. And so one of the locations happened to be like 20 minutes from us when I taught down in Virginia or taught and coached down in Virginia. And um, it's a bunch of different challenges. And we were at a place called Reston Town Center. So they had to go into different stores and they had to make little videos with their fingers and like take pictures and all kinds of stuff. And all of this gets submitted through the app. And then there's a team of people in California that like give your kids points for their creativity and for, you know, all kinds of different, sort of like an urban scavenger hunt with challenges thrown in. And you can submit like trivia questions about whatever your organization is. And at the end, they put together a custom website, like right as it's happening, where you can view everybody's pictures and videos and all that stuff. And there's a winner and there's prizes all from this company. It was really cool. Um, And I think, you know, with that retreat, then taking that and being able to set our standards and do all that was just like my favorite thing we ever did. Yeah. Uh, so we do so much like little games and stuff and activity, like leadership character development, but I think, so I kind of view those as maybe a little bit different, I I guess, and kind of keeping with like this Southern theme. I like to eat, man. I I just think going to dinner with the team and sitting around and having that big table of crawfish with them and just talking about life or stopping, uh, you know, like, hey, we're going to take today off and we're going to go watch somebody else play and we're going to go eat fried fish, you know, or something like that. Like to me, that right there, just sort of the the bonding around the table and breaking bread with each other 
um, is, is one of the best things. You just never know what's going to come up in that conversation and, and what people like. And just, you know, again, just having a very authentic conversation with somebody. And to me, there's no better way to do that than over some really good food. You know, you give me some chicken and waffles, some hot water, cornbread, something like that. We sit down and, and just sort of hang out and, and, and visit. Um, I think that's probably my most favorite thing. I could never be on Kyle's team. I'd weigh 800 pounds. <laughs> um, uh, all right. So be, for you guys, could be local to your area. Maybe you're a fan of a different team, but your favorite sports rivalry does not have to be basketball. Ooh. Kyle, you already know what I'm going to say. Washington football team, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing Kyle and I really don't agree on. I am a, 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 an unfortunate Washington football team fan, and he is unfortunately a Cowboys fan. Uh -oh. um, two very uh -oh. different uses of the word unfortunate, but, you know, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say that I'm going to – well, for what everybody can understand, I, I remember watching Leitner hit the shot, so I was like six years old when all that happened, so I was like a prescribed lifelong Duke fan. So Duke Carolina growing up was always like really good, but for what – the answer for what people have no idea out there listening to Benton and Apollo elementary basketball. So that was me growing up in our <laughs> elementary schools. Every time that Benton played Apollo, there was, you know, gloves came off, you know, it was just absolute utter chaos in the six, seven, eight year old Benton and Apollo basketball games. Those are probably some of my most fond memories. Nobody will have an absolute clue what I'm talking about. Um, but if I had to think of like absolute greatest rivalry, that those are some of my greatest childhood memories was playing in those games. Uh, for our uh, listeners, I believe I just looked up Apollo was the Rockets. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's it. And they the fed into Green Acres and we hated Green Acres and then they fed into Airline and like Benton and Airline always got it. So it was like this lifelong sort of like, you know, brouhaha that started you early at five and six years old. So um, really good memories. Sorry, Todd. I had to look that one up for fun. That's all right. That's all right. Let's <laughs> let's go. Let's go football here. I know Kyle. You mentioned you coach a little football, but uh, I see you're you're from Virginia, so you, you know we got football up here, but it's a whole different ball game down there. So either your experience is coaching coaching basketball, in, you know, in fo big time football country, uh, you know, kind of those things that that go into it, or uh, you know, just actually coaching the game of football in, in big time football country. Yeah, I mean, Kyle will definitely have a better answer for this is he coached boys. Well, I coached girls in high school and coached girls or uh, women's collegiate basketball now. So I never had to deal with football. It was great. What was fantastic, though, was using the football team in their offseason conditioning as part of our practices. Yep. Yep. So there's a little little known tip. I mean, I'm sure other coaches do it. But when we had to prepare and talking about game prep, right, this is a great example of that. We had our, our football coach's daughter was our, was the point guard on our team. And so I just asked him, I was like, hey, can you give me five of your guys? And we just need them to run a little bit. And he's like, great. I want them to run as much as possible. I'll send them to practice. And so we would put them in different drills and we play 100-point games with them. Um, and our kids would run circles around them. And it definitely gave our, our, our kids the confidence to go play against, you know, the number two team in the state or our district champion, you know, team that was beating people by 50. Um, but yeah, I never really had to deal with football. We were always very supportive of some of my best friends are the football coaches. So, um, you know, love what they do. I could never do it. 
Um, but Kyle, I know, has a very different opinion sometimes on on the availability of his football players uh, as a coach. Yeah, it was always tough being a basketball coach at a small private school where every kid had to play everything and football was really big and you wouldn't get kids. And I used to I used to really lament a lot of football. Um, and, and as I've gotten older and, and kind of matured a little bit, you realize that there's actually a lot of really great things that can come out of having football guys on your team, uh, especially if they're successful. Um, but I, when I think of like when I think of football, it really kind of takes me back to high school and being in the band even. Uh, and being on the drum line and just that, you know, you live in a small town and the, the town that I lived in that, uh, that I did grow up in, they've, they've grown substantially in the last 20 years. But, you know, it was like one blinking light, a bunch of cows and cotton fields. And I mean, literally just everything shuts down on a Friday night. And there really is something special about like a southern Friday night lights. And even as a guy, I didn't play football growing up. I coached. I did coach a little bit of it when I first got into uh, my career, and I'm actually going to be working more with football soon, uh, something else that I've got coming up. But um, there is just something neat about going to a small town, Friday night lights, everything shuts down, everybody's packed out. And uh, and then again, we can throw some more food in there too, right? Because there's probably going to be some tailgating going on. There's going to be, so, you know, you're going to go eat before, you're going to eat during the game, and then you're going to go eat somewhere afterwards. Um, and, and there really is just, it's a different feel, you know? Um, and one of these days I'm going to have the time where I'm literally just going to drive around and hit different spots that, you know, we've got these rivalries that are, that are not even really far from me that they've played for a hundred years, you know? Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. I I don't really want to speak on it because I can't do it justice. Um, but Friday night football in the South is just a different animal nobody cares about anything more than that <laughs> let me put it that way it's a big deal john we should get them out to a catholic league game so they can, they can experience yeah, that one they would like to <laughs> do it yeah 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 well uh, asim and kyle we can't thank you enough um this is an amazing episode so much information so much good stuff that our, our listeners can use and to be honest uh me, me and john can use um so you know we can't thank you enough for taking the time today and, and joining us and uh you know uh, love love following all your stuff so thank you so much thank you for listening to another episode of the after the timeout podcast hosted by todd zazadil and john flicky for more show content and upcoming episodes follow us on twitter at after the timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.